0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly.
1: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox Talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
0: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Tuesday night, June 11, 2019, as the Chicago White Sox just wrapped up their season series against the Washington Nationals as they finally beat the Nationals in 2019, splitting the two games in Chicago. They finished the year 1-3 and three against the Nationals after winning Tuesday night 7-5. And now it's time for the New York Yankees to visit the South Side later this upcoming week. And it starts a brutal stretch for the White Sox. Their next 15 games are against the Yankees, the Chicago Cubs, the Texas Rangers, the Boston Red Sox, and the Minnesota Twins. All five teams that could be in the playoff race later this season the Rangers if the season were to end today would have the second wild card in the American League how will the White Sox hold up during this difficult stretch we'll try to guess that later in the show but to start the show let's chat about Aloy Jimenez who is heating up and joining me to discuss is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast it's Jim Margulis and hello Jim Eloys at-bats are starting to become must-watch TV, especially the last couple of weeks.
1: Yes, monster homers are really the fastest way to anybody's heart. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's just really the, the barrel is there. The, he's getting under it. He's not rolling over pitches, not popping up. Seems like he's meeting the ball in front of the plate and watching it fly. And yeah, that's what we thought was going to happen
0: maybe a month earlier, but there's still a lot of season left. Yeah, that home run on Tuesday against Patrick Corbin landed over the hedges, dead center field, and one bounced up the stairs to the fan deck. I haven't seen a ball hit that far, Jim, since Jim Tomy's game 163.
1: Yeah, I think that's the only one that got there, and that's why Tommy got the plaque for it. I don't think Eloy will get the plaque, but I mentioned this on Twitter that there, and I and I link to it in the recap in case uh, no, uh, nobody saw it. But there is a post that Grant Brisby wrote in SB Nation years ago talking about the the best and worst places to hit long home runs, and well, then it was U.S. Cellular Field that ranked dead last because there's really nothing. To add drama to it, he hit a deep to the left. It hits the concourse. Right, it hits the concourse. There's no second deck. There's no waterfall. There's no rock feature. There's really nowhere for the ball to, uh, you know, make your jaw drop. Even the concourse we saw, we saw it with Joe Borchard. It just bounces. You know, it's not that much fun. But uh, I think Jimenez did probably one of two things that can make a long home run uh, amazing. He, you know, as you mentioned, it went up the stairs. Really, besides that and, and hitting the goose in right field, one of the geese in right field, there's really no way to really have a a landmark homer in the stadium. So that was, I, I didn't know a home run could do that. So that's really great to uh, learn something about the park. And what is it? It's
0: uh 28th year.
1: So yeah, nice to see new par- uh, parts of the park being explored.
0: On Twitter from Chris Kamka, He tweeted out that in his last 11 games, Jimenez has four doubles, three homers, eight RBIs, while hitting .333 with a .381 on base percentage and slugging .667. Okay, that's a very, very small sample size. And when you look at his season as a whole, Jimenez is still not meeting expectations. But he's getting better, and I wonder, Jim, if we are... Now passing the adjustment period for Jimenez, and now he's going to start helping carry the offense like we expected before the season.
1: I wouldn't say we're past it, but if you can think of it like a uh, like over the top, like a dramatic arm wrestling scene, he's starting to wrestle it back to neutral. Uh, that that a bet you know, he, he had the homer against uh, Corbin, he had the double up the middle, he legged that out, and that was cool, but. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's more impressive than a 461-foot homer that goes upstairs, but I would say um, I almost admired as much his his walk in the first inning that set up Wellington Castillo's Grand Slam uh, and, and maybe earlier bats in earlier weeks. He might have swung over a slider or chased a high fastball with two strikes, feeling like he needed to make contact and protect against the edges. And uh, he would have been an easy out. But in this case, he laid off sliders in the dirt. Uh, when when uh, Corbin didn't like a slider and the fastball is coming, he threw it too high. Uh, Jimenez laid off that and didn't really flinch at it either. So I think that was also a, an at-bat where you hope that uh, you can see more of that. Because if he can lay off the sliders and just the awful pitches he has no chance on, there's a lot of pitches that he does have a chance on, and you know we saw it with the with the Kauffman Stadium series, you know he he swatted that homer out to center, but he also poked a uh, an outside pitch out to right field, just you know seemed like an effortless swing. Just the barrel meeting the ball, getting it over the wall and right to Coffin, which is not a short distance. It's not a short porch out there. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of ways he can do damage if he can just lay off the worst of the worst. And and that at bat in the first inning, I'm hoping there's more of that, which I think will lead to more of the massive homers.
0: I agree on that. If he starts taking his walks more and remains patient at the plate, I, I agree with you, Jim, that will open up opportunities that Jimenez can capitalize on pitchers' mistakes. And right now, he's capitalizing on them uh, in a big way. He has the two longest home runs for the White Sox this season uh, in just a short handful of days within the last week. uh, His 472-foot blast at Kauffman Stadium, dead center field, is still the longest home run for the White Sox in 2019. Looking at the Rookie of the Year race, uh, Brandon Lowe of the Tampa Bay Rays is not... A well known player, but he currently leads the American League position players in wins above replacement. According to Fangraphs, he's at 2.2 war and he's having a very good season. He's hitting 288 with a 340 on base percentage. He's slugging 553 with 14 homers. His numbers are far better than Aloy's. However, is Jimenez too far behind to make a run for rookie of the year? Or maybe in the last 11 games here, Jim, we're going to see. Hopefully, a two-month stretch that Jimenez gets back into that conversation again, where he's being considered to be rookie of the year.
1: I wouldn't say he's out of it. Uh, we've seen with rookies that either they have a tough initial adjustment period, or they they get the jump on pitchers early and then get adjusted to and then the second half is kind of a slog. So I would say that, you know, Jimenez. I wouldn't say he's even right now in striking distance. He's got a long way to go to make up that kind of gap. But you know, they're still three and a half months of season left and, you know, should he go on a home run binge and, you know, finish with, you know, 30 or more you know, and have the gaudy hitting stats, the gaudy power stats, which I think always fare well in rookie of the year voting. And he's, you know, not a rookie that came out of nowhere. He was a highly touted uh, prospect. Uh, one of the top prospects in the game, everybody knew him. So there was a lot of buzz for him coming in. So it's not like everybody has to learn his name. So uh, it's, it's possible. I would say that's uh yeah, I would say it's, I would give it maybe, The same odds as him leading the White Sox and Homers at the end of the season, like not great.
0: Um, He'll need some help in order to do it, but it's possible. We got this question from Twitter from Tim. And Tim is asking, in your Aloy Jimenez over-the-top analogy, who is the crazy guy with the beard who drinks a quart of motor oil? I don't remember over-the-top that well. I just remember it was a ridiculous (laughs) premise. (laughs) But now I want to watch it. Like, oh, it, or I don't know it. about that. It's It's been a while for me watching that Sylvester Stallone movie. That, Which,
1: that'll be in, in my list for if there's a work stoppage of ways to fill time.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Well, the premise of that movie was he had to win an arm wrestling competition in order to buy a semi truck. I think it was to win custody of his son. Oh, that's Right, but there was a semi truck, right? I yes, don't... okay. <laughs> I mean, this is all bad, <laughs> yeah. It's a very confusing movie. Uh, just stick with Rambo Sylvester, but, anyways, <laughs> moving on from Sylvester Stallone movies, uh, a little bit on the bad news front. Yohan Makata he left Monday's game with back stiffness, he did not play Tuesday night, uh, even against Patrick Corbin. Maybe he would have gotten that night off. And Mikada would have had back-to-back days off as the White Sox are off on Wednesday. Uh, as we all know, on Mikata's struggles, batting right-handed uh, against left-handed pitching, of course. Uh, but with the back stiffness, I hope that with having two days off, that he's healthy enough to get back in the lineup for the White Sox against the Yankees. But if he's not, Jim, and this is something that puts Mikata on the injured list, how big of a blow is this for the White Sox offense?
1: It hurts, especially against uh, a right-handed pitching. I think the White Sox caught a break because they were facing a, well, a theoretically tough lefty in Patrick Corbin, and Mankata's right-handed swing hasn't been great. So I thought if he's going to miss one game, you know, having Jose Rondon step in against a left-handed pitcher was fine. And if they, you know, I guess it depends on how the pitching matchups break down. I haven't looked that far into it, how many lefties they face, but. His uh, platoon splits are uneven enough to where, you know, if you get the right uh, breaks and have the right schedule line up, that it won't be that huge a loss, especially if, say, Tim Anderson can move up to the top of the order and, and maybe get his bat more involved. But uh, it, it's not great, obviously, especially with, you know, back problems and so forth. And hopefully this is more, you know, like muscular than structural, which I imagine it is. But yeah, it's, it's always something you have to worry about, you know, re-aggravating if he doesn't go on the DL. So, or the IL, I should say. So, um, you know, it'll take a, uh, maybe a few days, even if he's healthy, to make sure he's fully healthy. And to revisit over the top, here is the synopsis from IMDB. So we can just uh, straighten this out for anybody who's yelling at the podcast. Lincoln Hawk, Stallone, is a struggling (laughs) trucker who arm wrestles on the side to make extra cash while trying to rebuild his life. After the death of his wife, he tries to make amends with his son, who he left behind 10 years earlier. Upon their first meeting, his son does not think too highly of him until he enters the World Arm Wrestling Championships in Las Vegas. His hope is to receive the grand prize of $100,000 in an expensive current custom semi-truck and thus start his own trucking company. So we are both right.
0: Okay, so that's what I remember. Wow. And let me guess, his son just forgot that his dad left him for 10 years and loved him unconditionally after that tournament.
1: It was, let me see the year here. Yeah, it was
0: 1987. So yeah. All right. I was three. (laughs) Every movie ended like that. That is true. Especially from the eighties. So, all right, there you go. Over the top ladies and gentlemen, that's our movie minute. Our movie minute. Uh, on the pitching front, <laughs> there's a couple of things here. Uh, Adrisimir Despagne, he did good. Despagne did as well as his talent level can provide. Uh, he kept the Nationals to just three runs over six innings. According to Baseball Savant, he threw six different pitches because Despaigne uses a lot of arm angles and different types of pitching motions to help get outs. So, I mean, he's a junk baller. He's coming at you with all these different types of breaking pitches and off-speed pitches. His fastballs are very flat, and that's when he got into trouble. But again, he only allowed three runs over six innings. And for the White Sox, you take that at the moment. I still disagree, Jim, with everyone in the White Sox brass, Rick Hahn spoke about why Dylan Cease was not called up, and Rick Renteria even reiterated why he thought Dylan Cease wasn't ready to be called up. But for Despaigne, it worked on Monday. Does Despaigne have lasting power, say, at least two weeks? I don't have
1: high hopes for him. I think this is kind of what it would look like if they brought James Shields back, uh, just the the full bag of tricks in order to get through six innings. Uh, it was it was funny. I was watching the game and. He was throwing a lot of breaking balls away, 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 you know, to right-handed hitters and and in and into lefties. And I thought, well, you know, they're going to figure out he's only throwing glove side and they're going to adjust to it. He's got to mix it up. So then he throws a inside corner to Trey Turner and Turner just turns on it and and wails at uh, 425 feet to left field. So it's like, well, okay, that's why he's staying away because he doesn't have the power to go inside unless maybe he goes in off the plate. So that made me a bit worried about his long-term tenability, just, um, you know, if he only has one play. Place he can work, and he has to count on hitters not quite squaring him up well enough uh, on pitches, you know, outer half and and further away. So, I don't have high hopes for this working out. But, um, you know, it was more than say Manny Banuelos provided, and I still think the White Sox have two rotation spots to worry about, not just one. So, you know, even if they bring up Dylan Cease, they might need a a I wouldn't say a flash in the pan, but a dead cat bounce like Despaigne just to uh, get through the season. So, I'm not as opposed to Despaigne. The person, I would, yeah, I agree that I'd like to see the order be Cease and then somebody else, but hopefully there's nobody else besides Desmondier before Cease.
0: Now, most of the bullpen did not have a good series against the Nationals. Maybe with the exception of Evan Marshall and Kelvin Herrera, Alex Colome finally gave up a run, a home run to Anthony Rendon, of course. Uh, which is his first run allowed in a save situation. But that was a tough task as Calame was asked to get the last five outs in Tuesday's win as he pushed almost 40 pitches in his appearance. Everyone else out of the bullpen had, let's call it, a tough time. Mm -hmm. Any reason for concern, Jim, or was this just two bad games from the pen?
1: Uh, I would say when it comes to... Bummer and Colomay. Bummer having yeah, basically his worst game of the season and, and, and really only off night of the season. And then A being stretched to get five outs and taking uh, a lump. Uh, during that. I don't think there's anything to worry about there. I think, you know, there's going to be stumbles along the way. And if either of those guys are going to stumble, you'd like to see him do it with five runs. So they have a cushion to work with. I think I was afraid that you would see column give give his first runs when trying to hold a one run lead, giving him a two run Homer, and then maybe doing that like two nights out of three and, and, and fearing that the whole thing is going to cave in. So this is really the easiest way for those guys to have a bad night. I was, I was hope I'm hoping that Kelvin Herrera's, uh, Outing where he pitched a scoreless inning and was almost a 1-2-3 inning, but uh, Tim Anderson couldn't quite turn an amazing play on Adam Eaton's grounder in the hole. It just uh, came up about a half a step short of of greatness, but uh it, it was better. It was he he got a couple swings and misses, he got weak contact. I think that's what you want to see from Herrera if he gets back on track. So I'm hoping that that's enough to offset the rest of it. I mean, Josh Osic and Juan Manaya they're not you know, they're they're stop gaps and 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 they're here because nobody else is quite better and i think they can you know vary from game to game and you don't want to see them in any kind of situation where you need outs but i think for the the main guys involved uh especially column and, and and bummer they were due to struggle and and they picked a good night for it
0: what are your thoughts about
1: jose ruiz i like him as a uh as a talent. Uh, I like the fastball. The slider is sometimes good. I think sometimes, uh, you know, he can get derailed. And I think, you know, Tiago Vieira has suffered from some really bad luck. Uh, just the softest hits. I think he gave up four hits. Uh, two were under 90 miles per hour, and two weren't even registered on StatCast when it comes to exit velocity. So uh, he gave up, like, the four possible softest hits in a row and couldn't get out of it. But even his stuff has looked better year over year. So I think between those two guys... You can probably get one workable reliever out of them.
0: I just think they're maybe a bit too raw from figuring it out just quite yet. All right. Well, again, the White Sox split the series with the Washington Nationals. They finished the season series against the Nats one and three, and now they move on to their home weekend series. It's a four-game series against the New York Yankees and the start of a pretty tough fifteen-game stretch for the White Sox. Before we preview the Yankees series, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. With millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there's a better way. You can search for sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you are looking for all in one place. In an industry that tends to stagnate, SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd, and this is how they did it. It, By looking at their app store and looking at their app, Over 50,000 five-star reviews. That's terrific customer satisfaction. They just have a better process as well for shopping tickets. They pull together millions of tickets from all over the web. And they rate each ticket on a scale of 1 to 10. And finally, SeatGeek displays them on an interactive seat map. So you can get an idea what your view looks like from your seats before purchasing. And SeatGeek breaks down the details. The green dots, those are good deals. Buy those tickets. The red dots, those tickets are overpriced. Don't buy them. And every purchase is fully guaranteed with more and more professional stadiums switching over to digital tickets. When you buy the tickets on SeatGeek, you can download them straight to your phone for easy access. Into the stadium, and I use SeatGeek all the time, especially going to White Sox games. And for this upcoming weekend between the White Sox and Yankees, on Thursday, tickets start as low as $17, Friday, $15. Saturday is going to be a popular game because they have that Hawaiian shirt giveaway. If you want a Hawaiian shirt, you can get tickets as cheap as $22 on Saturday, and then for Father's Day on Sunday, tickets start as low as $16. And the best part is that socks Machine listeners get $10 off your first purchase with SeatGeek. So if you've never used SeatGeek before in buying tickets, this is a great weekend to try them out. In order to get the $10 off, just download the SeatGeek app onto your smartphone and use our promo code socksmachine. That's promo code SOXMACHINE to save $10 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. And again, the Chicago White Sox played the New York Yankees for a four-game series this weekend. The New York Yankees are 41-25. and They will have a game on Wednesday against their crosstown rival, New York Mets. They are currently tied for first place in the American League East with the Tampa Bay Rays. However, in the last 10 games, it's been kind of a struggle for the Yankees. They are 4-6 and six in their last 10 And looking at the pitching probables, for Thursday at 7.10 p.m. Central Time, it'll be Jay Happ for the Yankees against Ivan Nova for the White Sox. Friday at 7.10, it is CeCe Sabathia, the old nemesis for the White Sox, throughout his entire career against Lucas Giolito. On Saturday at 6.10 p.m. Central Time, it's not known yet who will start for the Yankees, but it will be Ronaldo Lopez for the White Sox. And on Sunday at 1.10 p.m. Central Time, this is either going to be started by Masahiro Tanaka or James Paxton, as both these pitchers pitched earlier today in a doubleheader against the Mets, and they will be going up against Espagne, uh, who is the projected starter for Sunday, but we'll see how the White Sox handle that spot. And speaking with the Yankees, again, they are in first place, right where I think a lot of people expected them to be. But they are dealing with some starting pitching issues, and some of it is health-wise, which fits the theme of their season so far. They've dealt with so many injuries. Domingo uh, Jermaine is now on the injured list, and he's been pitching really well for the Yankees, and he's not going to be available for this series. And some of the starting pitching issues for the Yankees is just a lack of consistency. Are the White Sox, Jim, catching the Yankees at a good time again because in early April, the Yankees obviously weren't at full strength because they were dealing with all those injuries to their hitters.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably as good a time as you can face them. And, and you know, talking about Moncada being out, you know, it's a way to ease him back in because Jay Happ is a lefty, CeCe Sabathia is a lefty. So if they want to give him one more day... Uh, there's a possibility to do it without really hurting the offense all that much. As long as you know he can come off the bench to maybe face a righty later in the game, that'd be great. But uh, they can't avoid starting him against Happ or Sabathia if they really want to uh, make sure that they don't overtax his back. So I, I like that going for them, but you know, given the, the, the opposition happen, uh, Sabathia and such the white Sox haven't had a whole lot of success. They, they didn't look good against CC earlier in the year. Um, I'm hoping that, uh, they can, you know, kick him once more out the door because Sabathia has basically owned the Sox for his entire career. So it'd be nice to, uh, uh, this is their last chance really to, uh, to get his comeuppance. So I'd like to see that, but, uh, with these lefties, I I'm hoping that Jimenez can, you know, pick up where he left off with that blast against Corbin and start punishing lefties because without um, with, when he's swinging over the top of pitches and getting jammed and so forth, uh, they really are a weaker lineup against left-handed pitching. And uh, Jimenez, I think goes a long way to reverse that or at least give the White Sox order a real middle of the uh, middle of the order threat against uh, Southpaws.
0: And for Lucas Giolito, obviously he's been having this amazing stretch, Jim, but now he is facing a much more dangerous lineup than, obviously, the gauntlet in the American League Central, uh, if you can call it that. Do you see a hiccup coming up for Giolito against this Yankees lineup, or do you think that he'll be able to handle them like he has been handling his opponents in his last seven starts?
1: Well, that's what that shutout against Houston you know, uh, means, and is so important, is that he showed that he can do it against good teams. So there's no... I mean, there's there, I would imagine the Yankees will give them a tougher time, and, you know, like, say, the Royals are <laughs> they're a superior offense to the Royals. So I'm not going to say that the Yankees are going to go down as easily. I can see them making it tougher and making it, like, say, six innings instead of seven plus, uh, just making them throw more pitches because it's a more talented offense. But he showed against the Astros that. Uh, he's got ways to get lefties out and righties out, and show hitters multiple looks multiple times uh, a game. So there's no specific reason to think that he's going to be, uh, you know, turn into a pumpkin and all of a sudden be a mediocre pitcher. He might have an off night, but I, I think when it comes to his skill set and what he's showing, it's a really a well-rounded approach. And and there's really no way to game plan for him because he can, as we've seen in other games, he can flip the script pretty easily.
0: Now again, this series does start a brutal. 15-game stretch for the White Sox. Four against the Yankees. Two at Wrigley Field against the Cubs. Then a three-game series at Texas, who, again, is leading. Uh, I shouldn't say leading the wild card. They would be the second wild card in the American League at the moment. Their record is 35-30. and 30. The Boston Red Sox obviously are struggling, struggling but they are the defending world champions. So we know that at some point they're going to go on a run. That series is at Fenway. And then they come home to welcome the Minnesota Twins who are just running away with the American League Central at the moment. So over these 15 games, Jim, I'm going to place the over under at six and a half wins for the White Sox in the next 15 games. Which side are you taking the over or the under? I'm going to go over with seven. All right. Why do you feel like they could be about 500 ish during this stretch?
1: I feel like they're playing a bit better, and I think that off days help. I think if they were, say, playing 15 games in 16 days where they needed every single spot in the rotation, where they couldn't run out their best relievers in every big situation where they're needed, I could see them losing more games, either getting blown out or having games get away from them by trying to get outs with Juan Mania or Josh Osich or something, so... You know, there there's that. I think when you have so many off days and are able to get breathers, like we saw, like with this game with with the Nationals, um, you know, when they had the opportunity to use Alex Calame for five outs, they did so because they had an off day the following day. And when uh, Rick Renteria wants to manage for a win, and when he has the off day to allow him to allow his team to recover from rather bold decisions that aren't sustainable over a longer grind. I think they can squeeze out more wins that way. It's not the kind of formula that you can re- recreate for, say, more than a series at a time, but I think they can pull out some wins, uh, I guess, on a more frequent basis than we might otherwise expect with, say,
0: a more regular schedule against an equally tough slate of opponents. If you are right, the White Sox, who are 32 and 34 before this series against the Yankees, if the White Sox go seven and eight. At the halfway point of the 2019 season, which is at the end of this month in June, the White Sox would be 39-42. and 42. A lot better than what you were expecting in the first half, right, Jim?
1: Yep. No, I, I think that would be yeah, 78-win pace, which is, like we talked about a couple shows ago, that's the kind of territory where... All of a sudden, they look like they can make the leap the following season. Like, there's no reason why a team can't go from 78 wins to 90 with the right additions. Going from 62 wins to 90, a much bigger task. But 78, yeah, that's should be no problem for a maturing team that has money. And, uh, or at least I shouldn't say no problem, but uh, we've seen teams do it, and it should be expected when you look at the economics of it. So that's uh, that's, I guess, you know, probably an upper echelon outcome for the talent they brought into the season and uh uh it's and especially since it's not like a completely healthy White Sox team, you know, maybe if they uh, you know, were getting the most out of every single player needed and, uh, you know, had everybody playing 81 games who they needed in the lineup, then you could feel good about it. But they've had some injuries. They've had uh, some guys miss time. They've had some, uh, you know, Reynaldo Lopez pitching terribly and they're still on this win pace. Uh, that would be uh, quite a testament to like, maybe not the depth of the team, but at
0: least the resilience of some of them. I mean, there's still two games back of Cleveland in the in the standings. And if we keep playing along with this, okay, let's say at the end of this month, the White Sox are 39-42. The first series they have at home in July is a three-game series against Detroit. So here we go again. I mean, this dream of can the White Sox reach 500 again could be alive depending on how these next 15 games go. I will be the pessimist here. I will say under. If the White Sox win five or more games during this stretch, I'll be happy because I think this is a pretty brutal stretch for the White Sox. The Cubs play very well at home at Wrigley Field. They do not play well away from Wrigley Field. And again, the Cubs and White Sox, um, their last series before the All Star Break is two games at Guaranteed Rate Field. Um, right now, the Cubs are just getting crushed by the Colorado Rockies, and the Cubs are 13 and 18 away from Wrigley hmm. Field, but they're 24 and 11 at home. Uh, the Texas Rangers, which they are 24 and 12 at home, they are 12 and 18 away from Arlington. I mean, they're just a home juggernaut. Um, and while well, the Boston Red Sox are 15 and 17, I think that's the series that the White Sox could secretly win. Cause I just don't know what to make of Boston at the moment and the twins. Well, the twins are on pace to hit more than 300 home runs this year. Uh, Jeez. they are, they, they may be the favorite to win the American league. I don't know. That's kind of weird to say, uh, they're toe-in-toe toe right now tied with the Houston Astros in winning percentage. Their winning percentage is 677, and Houston's is 676, so they're keeping pace with the Houston Astros. Would they run differential plus 113? Uh, must be nice to be in the American League Central. But that's kind of why I'm pessimistic, is because the Cubs play so well at home. Texas plays really well at home. That five-game stretch, the White Sox may just win one game. It's possible. I could see them stealing the series in Boston, and I could see them splitting with the Yankees, and I don't know what to make of the home series at the end of the month against the Minnesota Twins. Maybe luck will be on the White Sox side uh, playing at home. But I hope you are right, Jim, because if they could finish this month 39-42, I think in that final five home games of this homestand before the All-Star game, But against the Tigers and Cubs, we could be talking about a White Sox team that does reach 500 at the All-Star break, which I think opens up a big bag of questions from the fan base to the White Sox front office. What are you going to do? Are you selling? Are you buying? Are you staying in place? But, you know, one team that there's already rumors that they're already looking to buy is the Texas Rangers. And step it away from the White Sox for a moment, Jim. Uh, You know, again, Texas is 35-30. and They are having outstanding seasons from Mike Miner and Lance Lynn. That's been a great free agent pickup for the Texas Rangers this season. Uh, Do you foresee the Rangers being buyers and going for it here uh, to try to win one of these wildcard spots?
1: I think they can't afford it. I mean, you know, they're... In pretty good shape, I think, when it comes to payroll and depth. They're, I think they're a bit thin when it comes to upper echelon and prospect talent. But I mean, like Hunter Pence, I didn't realize how good of a season he was having. Yeah, like how no I saw some highlights and I saw that he was you know rejuvenated a little bit. But batting 284, 585 slugging percentage, 14 homers. Like where did that come from? So I mean, like they have a bunch of old guys playing well, which is never, I guess, the most reliable. Uh, we've seen that with the white sox when they have veteran teams that get out to a hot start in the first half and just can't quite keep it up and they don't have the uh young talent behind them to supplement any kind of injuries or or uh, i guess uh, declines in the second half uh, that's I think the one thing that makes me nervous about them but i think if they're winning i mean they have the fan base they have the the revenue they have uh um yeah the wild card right right now looks pretty open and, and really the Red sox might be the only other challenger and if they're not Taking it, they may as well keep forcing uh, the Red Sox hands and 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 keep them honest. Because uh, I I would like the White Sox to do the same thing if they were six games over five hundred.
0: I kind of like to see the White Sox do it if they were even at five hundred. <laughs> but I think with what Rakan yeah. has said uh, to the media regarding Dylan Cease, that the front office doesn't feel like the team's in a position to win. Uh, Again, I, I am the believer that the 25-man roster can say otherwise, depending on their play. So who knows? If the White Sox go 10-5 and five in the next 15 games, <laughs> uh, maybe that changes Rick Hahn's thinking, but I doubt it. So, But it would be a lot more fun to t- discuss, and it would be a lot more fun if an outsider like the Texas Rangers, when we really thought this was going to be a pretty much easy year to pre- predict the American League, Uh, is not so much with Boston struggling and Cleveland struggling. struggling, It's really opened the door for the Minnesota Twins and now the Texas Rangers to step up and take their spots as far as being one of the postseason hopefuls. So we'll see how it all shakes out. Again, Jim and I will be recapping the upcoming series between the White Sox and Yankees on Monday, Sox Machine Podcast, and you guys will be getting updates as well with the White Sox wake-up call for the rest of the week. that will do it for this edition of socks machine live thanks to everyone who listened on mixer.com slash socks machine we do have an announcement we are hosting a meetup on sunday july 21st in downers grove at Alter brewery and we would like you to go space is limited though and last time i checked jim we had about 16 spots left i think so yes So if you are interested in hanging out with us for a road White Sox watch party, drink some good beer, chat with other Sox machinists, other White Sox fans. If time permits, we'll have a live PO Sox as well. Uh, Go to SoxMachine.com and there is a link for the event. Click on that link and register at Eventbrite and get one of those last 16 spots left. And again, go to SoxMachine.com to register for that event on July 21st. Very excited to see everyone. And now, again, we'll do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live. Thanks for listening. If you just discovered the podcast, you can subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Audioboom.com slash Machine. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy, nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York.
1: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.